Ruth, welcome to the show. How's it going? Good. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure. Definitely somebody that I, whenever I ask people who I should have on the podcast, is your name comes up a lot. And I always tell them, I'm like, I know, I know, I'm on it. I'm on it. And so glad we were able to make it happen. Why don't you just give the listeners a little bit of description of who you are, you know, kind of your background, how you got into fitness, a little word vomit there. Yeah, absolutely. I am Ruth Molesky. I live in a suburb of Minneapolis, Minnesota. <clears throat> so it's super cold right here right now. It's ridiculous. It was, we just had a cold snap where it was like below zero for an entire week. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I am an online coach. I started out training in gyms, but in 2020, I transitioned to fully online. Absolutely love it. Don't think I would ever go back. I started out, well, I got into fitness with running actually back in high school and never really loved running to be honest, but it was just a very accessible starting point, you know, which I think, I think it is. I think that's a really good aspect of running. So that's how I got into it. I then from there kind of transitioned into doing like circuits and Pinterest workouts in my parents' basement. Um, got into college and then that's where I was, that's where I first um, stepped foot into a, a weight room actually was in college and loved that, loved lifting, but definitely still continued to kind of mix like lifting, cardio, circuits, all of that good stuff, which I definitely did really like. Uh, but probably a couple years ago, I got more specifically into straight like bodybuilding style workouts, hypertrophy, that sort of thing. And I, that's definitely where I thrive for sure. And that's what my coaching is based off of now as well. So yeah, that's a little bit of background. Um, I love what I do. And it was kind of a, like I said, that starting point was, was, was different than where I'm at now. But I think that looking back, I can really see the steps that it took to get here. And I'm really grateful for that time early on where I was doing like the running and the Kayla Itzenis workouts and like that sort of thing. It all kind of led to where we're at now. So, and, and maybe you have this experience, but I'll very often get on like a one-on-one -on -one client call and they'll do something similar to what you just did where I want to hear kind of how they got into fitness. How, how did they arrive at this call with me? Um, and they'll look back on that stuff, uh, where they came from, you know, circuit style. Maybe they were running, they were cardio junkie, whatever. And they, mm -hmm. they, they miss the moment where they can like look back with the more of a grateful mindset and, and look back and appreciate where they've come from. And they feel like it, they feel like they're telling me some story I haven't heard before when in reality, like this is exactly what happens to everybody. And I talk, you know, you know, kind of in a, so hopefully in a nice way, some shit about like hit training and group training and all this stuff. But like that stuff gets people into the gym. So my question to you is like, you were like, Oh, I got into college. And then I stepped, I, you know, that was the first time I'd stepped into the gym. Like, was there an some impetus that was like, you know what, maybe I'm going to get out of my parents' basement and I'm going to get into this weight room. And was there like a moment or a person or an experience that put a friend or something that got you to go in for the first time? Yeah. Um, my husband, well, we were dating at the time we were not married, but yeah, he, he was the one who introduced me and I feel like had it not been, that's such a good question because I think for females, especially just feeling very intimidated when you first go into the gym, into the weight section and kind of wanting to know what's up and wanting to know how to use things, but not wanting to go and venture over with all the football guys and, you know, all of that, all of that stuff. So it was really nice to have him. He, I remember it vividly to this day. 
the first day he took me in there and he literally just like took me around from machine to machine. And it wasn't even like a workout We He just like showed me how to use everything. And that was, I mean, that was absolutely crucial. And I think that those moments are super, super helpful for people to have. There's a lot of people listening that are like, yep, this is why you married him. Like it's a catch, you know? <laughs> Um, that's freaking awesome. I think, I think a lot of people have a similar experience with like a, with maybe a friend or even just a, an in-person personal trainer who's like, Hey, I just showed me how to use the machines and not kill myself here. Um, my other question to you is, uh, is comparing in-person to online coaching, maybe not comparing them directly, but I'm curious cause I've a very, not only a very similar story, similar story, but a very similar timeline actually. Um, yeah. was this a, a business savvy move or was this a I've forced to do this because of COVID and I'm just going to kind of evolve or was this a decision that you made because it was an evolution and something you just wanted to do anyway yeah um so you know what ever since so after after I was introduced to the weight room in college I started getting into lifting there was some other things that happened in there too um and then eventually decided not to continue with my music degree and to instead go like the training route and so when I did that, immediately, when I got my, my CPT, I was like, I want to do this and I want to do this online. Like, eventually, that's what I want to do. And I, so I literally knew that from day one. But I also, at that point, that was also when I was just starting to be, like, get into Instagram a little bit. And I was seeing some of the content, like I was seeing these, like, big trainers, quote unquote, on Instagram. And I was like, these people don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and even though I didn't really know what I was doing at that point either, I was self-aware enough to understand that I didn't know what I was doing. And so I was like, you know what? I really think I should not start there. I really think I should start in gyms. Um, and so I was like, pretty much upfront, I was like, I really think I should spend like five years working in gyms first. And which is exactly what ended up happening. It, you know, didn't have to be that way, but that's kind of how it ended up. So at the end of 2019, I was to the place where I had been working in gyms for about five years and I was feeling the push to go online. And so I made the, the transition plan at the end of 2019 and I planned to transition out in March, which is exactly when COVID, I know, <laughs> it's crazy. I just really feel like it was the biggest blessing, honestly, because it worked out so perfectly that it seems like I did it for COVID, but I, I didn't, I had no idea. It just worked out really well. Yeah, that is that is extremely similar. I mean, I didn't think, I didn't start out thinking I wanted to do that. I actually didn't think about online sure. coaching for a long time, but just maybe towards the end of my in-person coaching career, I started to do hybrid and I was like, you know what? I really wanted to reach more people. I was enjoying making content on Instagram and I was starting to get inquiries. And I was like, you know what? This is at least something I'm really enjoying doing. I wasn't doing so much nutrition. I was doing a little bit of nutrition coaching with my in-person clients, but something was different about the kind of person who reached out to me online and maybe they were at a different state of readiness to change. And, you know, I was finding that I was having a lot of success with that. And so I really enjoyed it. And then I think COVID was the thing that was, you know, in March of 2020 was exactly when obviously that first lockdown, when that lockdown hit, I sat in my room every single day for like 12 hours building uh, like a back end and, and just being like, okay, this is what I'm going to do now. And so it, it was the thing that pushed me into it. But yeah, so interesting timeline as well. That's super cool. Um, That's so and, cool. and also very intuitive that you knew that it, or I say no, because I agree with you, but knew it would be a, a good idea to probably work with people in person. Cause I do think that there's a, there's an element of 
if you pay attention, maybe just maybe more me and you who have like a lens for this stuff. But if you read people's content, you can you can tell which people have worked with people directly and in person and, you know, been very close. Maybe even people who have never done one on one, even online, like you can tell that there's a disconnect sometimes in the in the verbiage and, and some of that stuff. So I can tell that you have worked with people in person and, and definitely like kind of, I don't know, have worked more directly with people and there's a connection there. So that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Cool. So we're going to obviously talk about marathon training, you know, both of our fortes, you know, things that we're both <laughs> yeah. really, really great at today, mostly cardio, uh, all of that stuff, circuit training stuff. No, we're going to talk about hypertrophy. Um, and the question that I want to ask you directly that's going to kick things off is kind of why you train for hypertrophy, given all where you've come from and also all the other things you could do. Because I think you and I would agree that hypertrophy training isn't the be all end all. I think we both will agree that on some of the pros. Um, but how did you end up choosing, hey, this is the this is the style of training for me. This is what I love. This is what I want to teach. This is what I want to coach. This is what I want to do for myself. Yeah. Yeah. I think to answer that question, just a little backstory is helpful. So <clears throat> when I was training in gyms when I was you know, training people in gyms. Um, you know, I was, I was training personal clients on the side, but it was always group training gyms. Well, I guess technically I started off in a little anytime fitness, but after that, it was always like group training, um, kind of like cross training style gyms. And so I would coach those group classes. And then I'd also have my clients on the side and I did a lot of those group classes and they are, they're super fun. And like we kind of discussed earlier on, earlier on here is they're a really, really good place for people to get started because you walk in, you literally don't have to do anything. The trainers there, they, you know, they show you what to do. You're with a group of people, so you can kind of hide if you want to. I, I just feel like it is a, a great way for people to get started and they're fun workouts. You know, I mean, there's a lot of like hype up and like, you know, high fives and all that good stuff. So really fun, really enjoyed it. Um, but there came this moment where I feel like I just realized that most of the, and primarily it was women in these gyms. And obviously there's men too, but especially the first one that I worked at, it was mostly women were not where they wanted to be physique wise. And not everyone, not everyone, but the, the vast majority of people were unhappy with where they were at in their body. And they would also kind of go through these cycles of challenges in the gyms. The gyms would like throw the challenges, you know, and it was, they would go through these cycles of, okay, they're in the challenge and they have like this really specific diet plan and, you know, it's six to eight weeks or whatever, and they go super hard and then they backtrack and they're right back to where they are. And that was kind of like, the cycle of the gym. And after being there for a couple of years, I was like, is, is this the best we can do? You know, like, is this really what I, and I, I was in the same boat too. I was in the same boat where I, I would go through these challenges with people and whatever. Um, so I kind of got to the point where I'm like, is this, is this the most efficient? Is this the most optimal? Um, and I think that's when I really started searching out. It really started with Instagram, honestly, searching out more, science-based coaches and education. And around that time I came across N1 and other, you know, coaches who are more science-based. And that's when I really started researching um, like bodybuilding style, hypertrophy style, uh, periodized training, that sort of thing. And just realized as far as what's proven to work the best, like scientifically, that's it. And so it doesn't mean that there's no place for this other thing, 
but I was kind of at the point where I'm like, I want, I don't want to spin my wheels. You know, I'd rather do the thing that works the best. I just in my entire life, I love to be efficient. So I'm like, why would I not also be efficient with my training? Um, so I feel like that's where I really got into it. And then once I started and it takes a second, it took me a second to really give up the, not give up, but to trust that just lifting was enough. Um, and I think a lot of people who, and I, and I experience this with my, with my clients all the time, but, um, it's hard to kind of give up that cardio aspect. You think you're going to put on a ton of weight. You think it's not going to work. It takes a second to really trust it. But once I did, and I gave it several months and just saw all of the benefits and the benefits just keep coming too. like the longer you do it, I feel like the more benefits there are. I was like, yeah, this, my body feels so good. I I'm not getting injured anymore. Um, I, my knees aren't hurting from like jumping around my hormones, like started, I have PCOS. So that higher intensity stuff is not ideal for me. Um, and, and those like started regulating and just everything, everything health wise, which is interesting, actually started getting better too. When I focus more on building muscle, you know, so I don't know if that answers your question. That was kind of a, a long roundabout way of trying to answer. <laughs> yeah, that was perfect. Trust me. Great. You did great. Um, I think, I think I have, uh, I think the average person, again, I say the average person strictly understanding that this is a generalization, that there are exceptions. I think the average person really wants to look and feel good, uh, wants to be pain-free, wants to do something that they could do forever. And for me, if you look at all the styles of training, hypertrophy is an, is the thing that checks those boxes the most, or at least the most percentage of all of those boxes. If we talk about feeling good and looking good, um, you could feel good doing a bunch of training, but even like you said, a ton of this overemphasis on high intensity training can sometimes actually be a, a negative in terms of how you feel. Uh, when it come, when we look at the most injurious type of types of training, hypertrophy in terms of like resistance training is right at the bottom and the least likely to injure you, especially if you're working with somebody who's familiar with execution and load management. And uh, let's just say you're working with a coach, let's say a good coach. Um, and so I, I think that there's there's when I heard you talking, I heard, okay, this is somebody who picked something based on the results that she was going to get. And so it was a very results driven mindset. And so for you, you found enjoyment in the results. Now I think that there's an element of accepting that people should also find enjoyment in the thing that they're actually doing in the moment. However, 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 I think that there's such an emphasis on that where it's like, I need to be enjoying this while I'm doing it that there is a disconnect between that and understanding that, you know what else is enjoyable? You know what else is great? The results that you get from stuff. And so I think when you're thinking, people are like, oh, you should do the training that you enjoy. You should do the training that you enjoy. Yeah, you should, but you should also factor in the results that you're getting. Because I promise you, you know, those are enjoyable too. And so you might you might like the camaraderie, the high-fiving, the, you know, the endorphin-style training that you get when you go to Orange Theory or F45 or whatever this is. But you might combine that with the lack of enjoyment potentially that you're getting from the results end of things and how you're feeling on a day-to-day -day basis and that nagging shoulder and knee that's kind of bothering you. And when you go to a hypertrophy style training, I'm not saying everything fixes itself all the time, but you're probably less likely to get injured. You're probably more likely to build muscle, more likely to change your physique. And you might be like, okay, I like this. I missed that endorphin a little bit, but man, the trade-offs that I get in terms of results, when I package that all together, that to me is a greater enjoyment. So people are like, why do you do hypertrophy training? It's like, 
because I'm fairly results driven and I want to be doing this forever and I want to be pain free and I want to go look. I always say I lift for health and for vanity and I, that's okay. I don't mind saying that. I lift to look good and I lift to feel good. Um, and I think if you package those two together and you look at all the different stimulus that you could be doing, all the different styles of training, well, hypertrophy slash bodybuilding is going to be the thing that checks the boxes the most. Now, not the only thing, and, and we'll just put some little asterisks here and just say, listen, if you're new to style to training and you are nervous about going into the gym and doing hypertrophy, but you're not nervous about going into F45 with your friend, like go ahead and do that. That's freaking awesome. I, we support you guys doing anything that gets a weight in your hand. Um, but at least, I don't know, my job, and I think you do a good job at this. So, well, my job is not to tell people what they want. It's to it's to help them make informed decisions with the with all the information. And just this sort of podcast, I hope people are thinking to themselves, okay, like let me at least consider what I'm getting out of this, not just in the moment, the, the enjoyment I'm having while I'm here for the 45 minutes. It's like, what am I getting out of this? And can I maybe find a better balance of those two? Absolutely, yeah. You know, man, agree with all of that for sure. But especially when I did start transitioning over into more like just strict or straight lifting workouts, it, it is difficult at first, um, be, especially as you're just starting to like track your weights, for example, where you don't have a lot of, of information in the past that you're comparing against. Um, it's, it's hard. And I had to give myself enough time to really fall in love with it because I can honestly say, and I know you, you feel the same, but we love lifting now, right? Like we love going to the gym. We love picking up heavy stuff, but it does at least for me, and I think for a lot of women, especially too, is it takes, it takes a little bit of time. Like you have to commit to it for a few months, just like anything. You're not going to love snowboarding the first time you go snow. I don't know why I chose that. I cannot snowboard, but at, you're not going to love that the first time you go, right? You have to practice it and get better at it. And then eventually, once you're okay at it and good at it, that's when you start to love it. And it's the same thing with lifting. Like if you just give yourself a couple of weeks or a month and, and you're like, oh, no, this isn't for me. That's not enough time. You have to give yourself enough time to really practice it and get good at it. Um, but yeah, I agree with what you said too, as far as the results. Results are fun. Like working efficiently towards something, that's fun. And so I think people need to, to think about the bigger picture sometimes too. And again, it's not like, like you said, it's not like you can't do your group training classes. As long as you understand that what the outcome is and how it might not be as efficient or as optimal as other methods of training. If you love it, then still do it, you know, but just so long as we kind of understand if we're not, we're not expecting to get a bodybuilding physique from an orange theory class. You know what I mean? Let, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's say you have a client that's coming to you and, and I'm sure you deal with this all the time, especially with the group training, which we'll talk about in a bit, uh, really loves their Orange Theory or their CrossFit or their F45 and wants to do some sort of concurrent training, meaning they want to they want to keep some element of that in their life, but they also want to do some hypertrophy style training. Maybe they want you as a coach. Maybe they want to join your group or my group or something that's hypertrophy focused. H how do you structure that conversation? What are some of the things that you want them to understand before jumping into something like that? And how might you, it's a lot, I'm throwing a lot at you, but how might you also go about potentially structuring some of that stuff? Yeah, so I think, Again, it really starts with an honest conversation about expectations. Like, what do you want? Do you just want to lose some body fat? Okay, well, like, easy. You can absolutely keep doing your orange theory, at least somewhat, you know, whatever, your CrossFit, et cetera. 
do you want to build out your shoulders or your glutes or your quads or whatever? Okay. Like now we have a whole different conversation where we really do. And my job as a coach is not to just affirm a client. It's to be honest with them. Right. So I'm not going to tell you that you can do orange theory five days a week and build your quads. Like that's probably not going to happen unless you've never stepped foot in the orange theory before, you know? Um, so I think just being super honest is, is, and, and, and just laying things out is super important upfront. Now, I also think though, it can be helpful to kind of ease clients towards things. So it's like, okay, let's say right now you're doing five days a week of, I, I feel like I'm really harping on orange theory, but I'm just using it as an example. <laughs> I've never even done an orange theory class. So just take all of that with a grain of salt. Okay. So <clears throat> let's say right now they're doing five days of orange theory a week and they, and they're coming to me and they want to, to build muscle. Okay. So, okay. Maybe we can drop and, but they love orange theory and they want to somehow keep that in, in their regimen. Can we drop that orange theory class down to one to two days a week and add in two to three days a week of lifting? And that to that person is probably going to be much more um, exciting than saying you're done with orange theory forever. It's gone because I want them to kind of buy into the lifting too. And so like we just talked about, you have to practice it to actually like it and get better at it. So as they start doing this kind of a little bit of this, a little bit of that routine, you know, my hope is that they'll, they'll notice that they're starting to get results and they start to like lifting. And eventually maybe we move more towards that. At least if that's in line with their goals, maybe they love the results that they're getting with, you know, doing both. And that's awesome. We'll keep doing that. But I do think easing people in is super beneficial. Um, yeah, just just for long-term buy-in and for, for not shocking people too much. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think a discussion of expectations and also a, just like an educational discussion of the pros and cons and the trade-offs of, you know, how are we splitting this up? Are we try, are we doing 50-50? What, what are the realistic expectations if we do that? Are we going to something where we're doing, okay, going from five orange theory to zero orange theory or five orange theory to two orange theory and three hypertrophy? Kind of going through the discussion of like what are the trade-offs in doing so? I like easing them into that into it. I think it's great. It's interesting whenever we have this very general philosophical discussion of small changes versus big changes. I think there are most people that are going to do way better with easing into it. I also have seen really, really cool, like what's the best way to get somebody to see the results of doing hypertrophy is for them to do only hypertrophy, let's say. And so I have had some smaller percentage of the clientele that have made big changes. And so I'm not saying that we should, everyone should make big changes. I think more people should make small changes. I think easing people into it is an amazing piece of advice. It's certainly the one I would go with as a default, but there's occasionally going to be somebody who's like kind of gung ho on trying hypertrophy and is kind of feeling a little burnt out from the orange theory. And they just need that little nudge from you to be like, Hey, why don't we just give this a big swap and you get that full experience. Um, it doesn't always work, but just if you're out there and you're listening, you feel like that's something you were leaning towards. Like, I think that that can also work well for a person in a, in a different state of mind. Um, and also th something that I think about is like you said, getting good at hypertrophy style training. And to me, I was like, okay, well, how would I, how would I think about that statement? And I think it's a different kind of effort. Cause if you think about like the kind of, uh, you know, when you leave an orange theory class or at 45 or some group fitness, you, 
you usually felt like you did pretty well because to do well in that class is just to go pedal down 24 seven. It's really just a, an emotional effort. I'm not saying there's zero skill component, but there's, it's very low skill components. Like if you try your, your ass off, like you succeed, guess what? I have more splat points and thus that's the barometer I'm using to decide if I've done well. And so this idea of like being good at that training and getting that, um, you know, almost like emotional feedback of I'm good at this thing. I did well today is easier in that sort of context where I just need to put the pedal down versus hypertrophy style training where it's like, okay, we need to be good at trying hard, but we also are going to be way more focused on technique and we're going to be way more focused on potentially RIR kind of stuff. And we're going to be more focused on exercise selection and working hard in one set and then letting yourself rest and then working hard again in one set. And so getting good at hypertrophy training and getting that same feedback is sometimes harder. And so I do think that that's like a burden for people. People leave Orange Theory and every time they do, if they tried really hard and the splat points tell them that they burned a lot of calories, they get that positive feedback and it becomes this feedback loop of I go, I sweat, I try hard, I feel like I did good and I do it again. Instead of, I guarantee you, if you've never done hypertrophy, yourself included that first time in the gym, maybe if you didn't have your boyfriend at the time, but um, you know, you leave not feeling that for a while, you know, cause you're like, my form sucks and I need five or six iterations and corrections from my coach before I get to a point. But I promise you when things click, it is fucking magical. When you do your first RDL with like a neutral spine and a tucked chin and it, you just get an okay from your coach, I think like a nice glute bridge and a good RDL, they're like the most beautiful things in the world when they are done correctly and it's so rewarding. And so if that's a hurdle for you and you're like, you know, I'm not getting this feedback because I feel like I'm not doing it well, like stick with it. Like there is a bit of a learning curve, a little bit more of a learning curve in hypertrophy than there is for like running, let's say. Uh, and so stick with it. It's an amazing thing. It's worth figuring out for sure. Yeah, totally. It takes a little more patience. Absolutely. It definitely does. Um, that comes back to the, to the results too, you know, for someone who is like you mentioned earlier, who is more results driven, um, doing that full switch immediately, even though it's going to take a little bit of time to ease in, uh, that's where you're going to see the best results. And so that person, you know, that person might be more willing to, to switch over that as well, but yeah, totally agree with all of that. Lovely. Let's let's talk about the. I get this question every single Q and A, or at least like in the DMs and stuff. We this word <laughs> functional just tends to kind of float into my DMs, and they're like, "Well, is?" And the question will usually be phrased: "Is bodybuilding functional, or why would you do something? Why not do more functional training?" Um, and so let's combine those two questions of like, "Is bodybuilding slash hypertrophy, which we can use somewhat synonymously, um, yeah. why is is that is that style of training functional?" And then how would you answer the question of like, well, why not do something more functional? Like how, where, do, where would you go with that question? Yeah, so in my opinion, I think that exercise selection and execution is, is what makes something the most functional or not. Not is it hypertrophy or is it orange theory or is it like cross training or whatever, right? It's what exercise are we doing and for what purpose, and then the execution of that exercise, right? I think that that makes just a much bigger difference. I do think that people, when they say functional training, there's this idea of like flexibility. And you, you can become, if that's your goal, you know, you can become more flexible without doing cross-training workouts. They can be very separate. You can train for hypertrophy. And, and if you also feel like you're inflexible, you can also do some yoga on the side or like do a 10 minute stretching video three times a week and you're gonna get more flexible. 
So I think, I think to be honest, having worked in quote unquote functional training gyms for several years, I think it can be a little bit of a buzzword, um, a little bit like, you know, we want you to be able to uh, complete normal life tasks and that sort of thing. All of the exact same benefits that you get from just lifting in general, honestly, just getting stronger, you, you get, regardless of the type of workout that you're doing, right? Getting stronger is going to make you a more functional human being. So yeah, I think, I don't know if that really answers your question, but I, but I feel like, first of all, I feel like exercise selection and execution is huge when it comes to like functionality and not getting hurt, like all of that sort of thing, right? Number two, I think that sometimes people just, um, they, they group functionality with flexibility and if that's your definition of it, we can get that in many different ways, right? And then I think that getting stronger regardless is going to make you a more functional human. Yeah. Oh my God. Totally. Yes. I think you had said something that was just like being stronger across the board is functional. I, this fun, the word functional fucking kills me. Um, and it's like functional for what people are like, Oh, you can complete normal day tasks. People are like, Oh, you don't do deadlifts in your program. Like, how are you going to pick up your kids? What the fuck are you talking about? We do our, we do other hinge motions. We do, uh, you know, hip extensions and RDLs and, and plenty of stuff where if I need to pick up my kid also PS, if you, I promise you, if I follow you around with a camera and I watch you pick up your kid, you are not doing that with beautiful deadlift technique. Jenna always cr cracks me up where we'll be carrying in the uh, groceries and we are like, do or die, it's one trip. Like, I have 475 bags on my arm. We're going to the fourth floor. And, uh, you know, we, I'll put the bags down outside the car and I'll get into like an obnoxious deadlift technique and I'll pick them up. And it, that's just not what people are doing. This is the only moment in my life where I'm like, you know what? Getting into this deadlift technique, probably not a bad idea. I do only hypertrophy style training. I'm not like breaking down and, and some fragile individual. Like, you know what's, you know what's functional? Being strong, muscular, and pain-free. Like, I promise you that across the board is functional. Like, just because you're not doing like you know, we're not doing like a ton of like calisthenics workouts. When are you like, we're not like in Zoolander, like breakdance fighting people. Like we're not like this, like we don't need to be doing that sort of stuff. Like it is functional to be strong and to build muscle and to be pain-free. And I promise you, if you do well-intentioned hypertrophy style training with the right exercise and good execution and good tempo and, you know, not too much explosive momentum all the time. And if you're doing it well, oh my God, it is so ridiculously quote functional. And I think that there's, um, it, it is the creation of a false dichotomy by a by a group that would like to assume that the things you do, like that hypertrophy is purely an aesthetic pursuit and has no other benefits. And they're like, well, you got to be doing this like uh, single leg, glute bridge, one arm, anti-rotation press while doing a banded pal-off press, while doing a sideways like, like uh, medicine ball throw, as if there's like as if you're doing something different, as if those are the things that I need to, to not trip over myself and fall on my face in the middle of the day, as if I'm going to fall and break my hip if I'm not doing some of this stuff. Like, it's just not true. It's a creation of a false dichotomy. If you want to do some of that stuff, quote, unquote, functional stuff, that's great. But I promise you, uh, if you do f you know, years of hypertrophy style training and you're doing it with good technique, people are always like, oh, how do I... I want to, I'm going to pose this question to you as well, but it's like, how do I, what abs should I do? And I'm like, it's not that you shouldn't do any abs and that abs is bad. It's like, well, 
I'm gonna, we're going to go to the mobility stretching discussion in a second, but it's like, okay, like, is there a thing in your life that is, that is inhibited right now by your lack of core strength? Like, is there something that you're doing in your life? You're like, man, it's, you know, it's my core strength really holding me down here. No, 99.999% of the time there is not that. And if there was that you could do direct core training, you totally could. But I'd also bet that two years of like really well-intentioned, good, um, execution, hypertrophy style training will at least build some element of not only core strength, but also proprioception, understanding of where your body should be, how to move in, in less injurious ways, and build up some rigidity, some strength, some some lack of the op, whatever the opposite of being fragile is. And so I, it does kind of kill me a little bit because I think that, I think hypertrophy is really picking up into the mainstream right now. And I think that, and I say mainstream, I mean, people are starting to realize that like, oh my God, I could look and feel great. I could have less pain. I could have more muscle. I could look good. Uh, and I don't need to be doing these like, and I think of some of these like performance gyms. I have friends and colleagues who work there and it's nothing against that, but I feel like they're starting to get like a little bit, I don't know. They're looking at hypertrophy and like, oh my God, people are really realizing that this is totally fine. So we need to create more buzzwords around what we do, you know? And uh, maybe I'm just a cynic like that, but I just, I see more and more of like, we need to make, we need to do unstable training. Like Seedman needs, Seedman has his own cult now of like, we need to be doing unstable training. It's more functional. It's better for the joint. We have to like make up shit to combat the fact that like, actually, if you just do hypertrophy, hypertrophy training, you can be super healthy, uh, strong, pain-free, muscular. You can look good. Like it's just, it's just, I'm not saying it's the be all end all, but there's like way more there than the average person thinks. That was a lot there. Yeah. So feel free to word vomit in response there. Oh man. Okay. So yeah, honestly, I think really the bottom line is, is gen pop either thinks they need to be more functional than they really need to be, or some of these, you know, gyms or trainers or whoever, who really have built a business on functional quote unquote training, try to convince people that they need to be more functional than they need to be. And I, I mean, I think people could say, well, I want to be as functional as possible. Here's the thing. Like, if you're not in a professional sport, do you really need like that much power or that much speed or that much agility? You don't. If we're actually talking about what's functional for you, what do you do every day? You roll out of bed, you walk to your bathroom, like, you know, you, whatever you lean down and pick up your kid, which you could easily learn to do without any weights at all Which you, you know do it, like, you do that with a flexed spine 99 percent of the right. time anyway right exactly then you sit at your desk on your computer all day then you go for a walk then you like reach up to your cupboard so like that's what you need function for and yeah i i think too if we're obviously we can talk oh you said we were going to go into this in a second but like flexibility and that sort of thing sure like absolutely i understand if when you lean over you can't like bend over with a straight leg and you want to have more hamstring flexibility or whatever. And I say that because my hamstrings are not, not flexible at all. So that's something that I, that I definitely work on, but yeah, but like how functional does the average individual individual really need to be? And then from there, let's decide what type of training we're going to do and, 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 and go from there. Yeah. With that flexibility discussion, I, I talked with Sal from mind pump and I, uh, we had a little bit of discussion because he po he posted some like you know he got some heat for a post that he put about like something I would totally agree with basically saying that like if you're looking to be fl more flexible more mobile then full range of motion resistance training under control is probably your best bet and so um you could replace the word functional with flexible in uh, that entire discussion just now because there is a people are like oh my hamstrings are so tight or you know I'm having I, I'm not super mobile I can't go ass to grass in my squat or something I can't go super low in my squat and it's like well 
we we have a finite amount of time to allot to training and you know this you could spend some percentage of that on mobility so that you could maybe get an extra inch down in your squat but there's a question of everything has a cost benefit ratio and so this time spent doing that versus if you just squatted with good technique to the range of motion or with the range of motion that you have currently available and you keep doing that that range of motion will expand over time and then there's also a discussion of a um you know, misunderstanding the word flexibility and sometimes assuming that you are tight when really you are weak. And so like this idea of like, well, I have tight hamstrings when really you might have weak hip flexors and quads, like something on the antagonist side might actually just be weak. And it's your nervous system that doesn't want you to stretch the hamstrings because your whatever is the antagonist can't actually uh, like take on that sh amount of shortening, let's say. Um, not to go into that too deep, but I do like that we kind of discussed of like this, at least think about do I need the adaptation that I'm doing right now for something functional in my life? Or could I be spending, you know, a big thing for you and me is the word efficient. It's not about things that are not worth it and things that are bad. It's about you have a limited amount of time. I work out four hours total per week, four times, 60 minutes. That's it. It's all I have. And most people don't even have that or they, you know, maybe you have a little bit more. Fine. But even if you have a little bit more, my bet is that you there's probably something else in your life that you could allocate a little bit more time to. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. And going back to your your comment about like the astrograss squat, you know, there there are some of those those little phrases out there that people pick up on, and then they feel like they have to squat super low. And and we got to come back to too, like, well, what's your goal with with the squat? Are you just squatting to see how low you can squat? Well, then sure. Like if you're trying to set records on how low you can squat, and that's your goal for squatting then sure. Like let's, tr let's really focus on and work on getting your squat super deep, but is your goal maybe to build your glutes and your quads? Usually that is the goal, right? Or just to get stronger in general, whatever. Okay. Well, if that's the goal, you do not have to squat with your butt grazing the floor. You just don't. Right. And so I think it all comes back to asking yourself what the larger goal is too, which I, I just don't think that people are taught to do that right. as much as they're just tr sold things, you know? Yeah. And this, and the squat one is one we could do a whole podcast. on. I think, man, Correct. if you're listening to this, I promise you what your squat looks like is way more to do with your structure and the way your anthropometry and your limb length ratios. And like, then it does, you know, you're doing something wrong. You know, it's unlikely you're doing something wrong. I, I work in, the, you know, you have a group training. I have a group training. There's 400, 400 people last time are sending you know, uh, squat videos, every single one of them looks different. I'm giving different, different cues and different pieces of advice to everybody. And I, I tell people, I was like, if you're watching other people's squat videos, it's not you. Like some, somebody's doing a really nice upright torso, knees driven forward, really forward angled tibia, like real nice quad dominant astrograss squat. Fantastic. If you have long femurs and a short torso, like yours is going to look like a good morning. And, and honestly, we could, we're not going to go into this today, but like you could argue you don't even need to squat and maybe even shouldn't depending on the other stuff you have available. I'm not going to go into that now. I'm going to do a hard pivot here. We have like 15 okay. minutes. I'd like to talk about the cut that you just finished. I do think that there's a cutting and building. I just want to talk about some of the mindset behind that. So tell me about your cut, how it went. Uh, and then, and then I'll poke around. Okay. Oh my cut. So really my cut did not go how I expected it to go. It did still end up being quite successful as far as, um, seeing some results from it and everything. Um, but yeah, I planned to do like a 10 to 12 week cut. I, my husband was deployed at the time when I started it back in October. And so my 
you know, I was still going out with friends and everything, but when he's not here, my social life is just not as heightened. We're not going on dates, et cetera. So I was like, okay, this is a perfect time to do it. And we're, we're getting into the Christmas uh, holiday season, which for most people would not be a good time to cut, but for trainers, that's the busy, that's a quiet season, season, I should say. So it tends to be a little bit quieter and then things really tend to pick up in January, February, right? So I'm like, okay, perfect time to do it. So first five weeks, extremely compliant. Um, like I said, it was just pretty easy for me not to go anywhere. <laughs> and so in a cut that makes it a lot easier, right? You can just really actually track everything. So things moved really quick those first five weeks. After that, Jesse actually got home early, which was amazing. So nice. But at that point, social life exploded. So I kind of adjusted things and went to more of a, you know, 85% compliance with an untracked meal or two each week that things continued to move. It was, it was good. Um, and then in those final, I don't know how many weeks, final few weeks, we just had just a lot of stuff. We had some, a couple of health scares, just a lot of, of personal things that happened, which basically made me not even track at all for like the last three weeks. But because I was pretty compliant in that first, that first section, um, still saw some good results by the end of it. So that's kind of how it went. I just did it. It was, like I said, it was a good time to do it. We were going on a vacation. We just got back a couple of days ago. Um, so I, it was a fun time to get a little bit leaner, see some of that muscle for, for a tropical vacation. And that's kind of my, that's really the only why behind doing it. You know, I don't, I, I do this stuff because I enjoy it. It's fun. It's like, it's like a hobby, you know? So yeah. So that's kind of a little, a little, um, overview of the cut. So I, I want to ask, as I do think you would put yourself and I would put myself in a different category to our clients, but I want to start with you. And then we're going to talk a little bit about maybe your experience with your clients, but for you personally, because uh, there will be people listening to us who look up to you and who want to do things in the way you do them, want to maybe look like you, want to train like you. What are some of the tools, tactics, mindsets, lifestyle changes that you find are are helpful for you? You said the first several weeks were very easy. Let's talk about that. We'll talk about how maybe it changed when, when Jesse, Jesse. Jesse got home. Um, but I'd love to hear you personally when when you're going to a cut. And I think I would love to just play a place a big overarching uh, uh, disclaimer here that like, again, you are a fitness professional. And I think you would agree and testify that this is like not exactly maybe always the average person. But OK, well, I'll, sh I'll shut up now. What are some of the tools, tactics, mindsets and lifestyle changes that you find help you adhere and survive a cut and thrive in a cut and do well and all that stuff? Yeah. So I think that those first, well, there's a few reasons that those first few weeks were easy. First of all, the first few weeks are always easier because your deficit isn't as large yet. You're not as hungry. Like you're not as fatigued of the whole process. It's just easier to start. Right. So that's one thing. Um, but the other thing, which I honestly, the whole, and I say the first few weeks were easy, but I, it was easy and I was being really compliant. I really feel like the whole cut was actually quite easy but there were also points where I wasn't really being compliant at all. So that makes sense as far as it being easy, but I had a really good and have a really good relationship with food. And I had a great relationship with food going into the cut. And that that's really the biggest thing is I know that food is always going to be there. I know that any like discomfort that I'm feeling, it's extremely temporary. I'm not, I'm not in this, um, this mindset of like, need it, you know, thinking about food all the time and, and needing to, to have certain foods and, and, and to be always eating. I just, I'm not in that place at all. 
Um, so I think that that is a, a major factor as well going in is just having a good relationship with food and knowing this is all temporary. First of all, I've chosen this, you know, I've chosen to do this. I'm already healthy the way that I am. Um, I've, I've chosen to get a little bit more specific with things just for fun. Okay. That's number one, you know, I've chosen this and then any discomfort that I'm feeling it's temporary. If you're hungry at night, you'll eat in the morning, you know, um, cardio feels hard. Like you're just going to be doing it for 20 more minutes. It's not that big of a deal. Um, you know, the cut is feeling hard. Well, you're you, number one, you decided to do it, but also you're just in it for four more weeks. It's, it's not that big of a deal. So just understanding that, um, the discomfort is temp is temporary, but then also I think going in with, with, um, a good relationship with food and a mindset that it's always going to be there. And it's not like depriving yourself of it for, for 10 to 12 weeks is going to be a big deal. I think that's huge. Yeah. You, you hit, I'm so freaking glad that you said what you said, because there are two things that I find that I was going to say that I'm glad you said instead. And it is an acknowledgement that this is temporary and voluntary. And it is by far the two things that I want to relate to people when they start a cut. It's, uh, and I had a good discussion with Kim Schlag on her podcast about this, like just acknowledging that the changes you make aren't, you don't need, like when people are like, oh, you need to sustain the deficit or sustain those changes that you make. Well, you do, but you need to sustain them for, for long enough to, to, for the deficit. Like you don't need to. Now that is not to say that you shouldn't have a really good foundational uh, habits that, that make the deficit a little bit easier. You should, and your life in your deficit should not look so different from your life at maintenance. But the, you, the this type of trade-offs you need to make to adhere to 1,700 calories are not the same trade-offs that you need to make at 2,400 calories. So there is an element of acknowledging that there are things you're doing right now that are temporary and that this is voluntary. And even if you are in a position where this is a very much a health pursuit, it's still voluntary. Nobody's... I would not be in a position of saying you have to do this. Nobody has to do this. You get to do this. You choose to do this. I'm not saying the whole world is full of autonomous only decisions, but this is one of them. Um, this is temporary. It's voluntary. You choose to do this. You can choose to stop doing this at any time. Um, and just the acknowledgement of like, hey, I'm making some of these. So it's a there's I, I view it in two ways. There's a mindset shift. There's also practical changes. The mindset shift is accepting that this is temporary and voluntary. The practical changes that I hear from you are things like, oh, I did I leaned into a time. I chose a smart time when I knew I wasn't going to have a super robust social life. I cooked most of my meals. I made sure that I prioritized maybe having a good relationship with food. I put in air quotes because it's like, you know, that that might be multifactorial, but having a decent relationship with food before you start, like I may, might rephrase that and you might agree to like starting the deficit in a good place, making sure you are currently in a good place, not using the deficit to get into a good place. And there's a big emphasis on the diet before the diet or just like getting, your, getting the fucking train on the tracks before you know, pumping the engine down or whatever you do on a train to make it go faster. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'd love to hear some of the reasons that you think it's practically, it was practically fairly easy for you. Um, I would preface it by saying a quote that I, that I like to say is that the people that look the way you want to look or make things look easy, the things you want to make it look easy, probably live a life that you would fucking hate. And so I'd love to hear what makes, what made it practically not so difficult. Yeah. Well, I think kind of some of the things we already touched on is social life was very low at that time. Um, and that's true. Like that would be really hard for a lot of people to give up, you know, and it's not something that I like to give up long-term either. It's one of the many reasons that I would not try to be 
in a cut or that amount of lean all the time because I like and not only like but really value social interaction and building community and like that sort of thing so it's it that that did make it easier but that is one of those things that do you not to cut you off but do you turn that knob down by not doing those social events or do you turn that knob down by adjusting your behavior during these social events or some combination of the two yeah comment well okay i would usually not um voluntarily not go to social events this this period of time where i was doing this previous cut it was just naturally a little bit less social because jesse was gone we like i said we just i mean i was still like going to church and being with friends and that sort of thing but there wasn't as many like dinners you know when he's here we're going on dinner dates that sort of thing so that was easier just naturally usually though in a cut I'm not going to say no to going over to a friend's house or to going out to eat or whatever, because I'm in a cut. That's one of those things where I have a little like discussion with myself at the beginning, like, okay, if you say you want this, we have to make some sort of a game plan for when those scenarios come up. Because like I said, community, friendship, that's, that's more important to me than my abs. It is. And even in a cut, it's more important to me. So I have to either decide I'm just not going to be as compliant. I'm not going to get as good of results and that's fine. Or I need to figure out how I'm going to approach those situations. And so that's a big thing for me too, is, is, you know, um, weekends are a lot of times when, when that more social events come up. Right. And for most people. So for me, it's having a good weekend approach, something that I really like doing that works really well for me. And it's kind of, it, it depends per person, but it's doing like the slightly lower weekday calories, slightly higher weekend calories. That works really well. And after you've been tracking for a while, it's not that hard to, you know, order something a little bit simpler and, and fit it into those higher calories, et cetera. So I think having, first of all, having a chat with, with yourself and understanding what are my expectations for this? And then number two, having some sort of a game plan. If you decide I am going to do these social events, which I, which I recommend, um, deciding, okay, how am I going to approach that? How am I going to make this still doable for me? So I'm not in the situation and being like, I don't know what to do, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think that, that I don't ever want people to to turn off their social life and be like, you know, your friends are getting together and you're like, no, I can't like get the fuck out of here. That's not a good life. Do not do that. Like that's like, you know, maybe like you said, don't, I I personally am less proactive about planning social events during that time. You know, like I won't like go out of my way. I'm like, we're getting, we're getting everyone together this weekend, you know, but if there are social events going on, I'm, I'm going, I'm not like, this is that for me is a commitment where I, I also know that that's like, the whole point I'm doing any of the things in my life is to live my best life. And part of my best life ne- needs to be seeing my friends and getting that like part of my soul filled. Um, but th- this does come down to a discussion that you have to have with yourself. This is not everybody wants what they wanted to hear from you just now was the calorie cycling thing. They wanted a practical thing. They wanted a thing they could do. Ah, save calories like this, order like this off the menu, do uh, special drink mixers. They want these practical tips. I'm not saying that those don't exist. They absolutely exist. The calorie cycling is totally a practical thing that you can uh, uh, consider doing. Even daily calorie cycling, you know, within the day, you know, shifting calories to later in the day, if you, you know, whatever, you're going out, whatever. Um, 
But I do think that those are all secondary to a commitment to yourself to say, this is important. And I can go and have a night with my friends without making it about getting wasted and, and cheese fries. And P.S., you could do that also and just, like you said, have a discussion with yourself that, hey, I'm, today's going to be a day where I'm at maintenance or higher. And this week, I will be slightly less fat loss, deficit, whatever. But it's about this... God, what I want for people is just is looking at objectively their choices and the pros and cons and and looking at like evaluating those pros and cons and then just picking because I promise you if you do that for five minutes and you look at the pros and cons of two different choices you could make, I could stick entirely to my calories tonight, I could get wasted and have cheese fries and you look at the pros and cons of those and you make a decision, then you've made a choice that you cannot regret because you would make it again in the same situation. And so waking up the next morning after the cheese fries and all the drinks is only going to lead to a ton of guilt if you first of all it should never lead to a ton of guilt anyway but there's going to be a there's going to be a brief moment there if you didn't decide to do that and i just want to see more people be living their own life on their own terms and if you decide to have the drinks and the cheese fries even if you decide to not do that and then you show up and you change your mind great just continue to be making these decisions based on like a evaluation of the pros and cons it's all i want and and people want a lot of tips and tricks Tips and tricks exist. We, you know, we have discussions with my one-on-one -on -one clients about how to track when you're out or not track or how to estimate or not estimate. Um, you know, a lot of those sorts of tips and tricks that can make social socializing easier. But it it, it does not override this uh, just the the mental side of things where you're making these decisions on your own terms. I think that that's so so important. That's a thread that I hear a lot with you. It's like, yeah, there are practical things I'm doing, but I'm always coming back to center and thinking. These are choices I'm making. It's temporary. It's voluntary. I get, I get to choose what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I was going to add on that, but I think you wrapped it up pretty nicely. <laughs> okay. We're going to wrap up on that, that note. I want to be respectful of your time. We're coming up on an hour. Tell people where they can find you if they've been living under a rock and they don't follow your content. I think you have some of the best exercise and technique content out there. So please drop a line and tell people where they can find you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, so I am at Ruth underscore empower, M-P-O-W-E-R on Instagram. And uh, my website is the same, ruthempower.com. So yeah, you can definitely connect with me on Instagram. I'm on there quite a bit. This past month, I've definitely been a lot less on there than I have previously, but things are going to continue to uh, kind of ramp up as the, as the year progresses here. So definitely come connect with me over there on my website. You can find information on coaching. I do one-on-one -on -one macro coaching. And then I also have a group hypertrophy training membership. So you can find all the information for all of that on my website. And yeah, thank you so much for having me on Jordan. This you're has been super you're very welcome. Super fun. And I also feel ashamed for not realizing that it was empower. Um, and I was for a longest time, I was like, it's gotta be like an inside joke or her middle name or her last <laughs> name or something. And then it's like, it, I guess M is your last name and then power is <laughs> It really is way better than I thought it was. It's genius. Wait, I, what did you think? It, what did you I think don't know. I, I was like, power <laughs> is like some, like she's like powerful or something. I don't know. I have no clue. Now I know though. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Do not, if you're listening to this, do not laugh at me because you you might have thought that too. And there's somebody else who thought that. People are like, oh, you're having Ruth Power on. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, Ruth Power. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. You know what? I know I could go into this whole long thing. I don't. I'm not super proud of that business name. It was I like just, it. It's great. Like, I needed something. It's amazing. And I was like, perfect. This is good. Yeah, exactly. M is my last name. Empower is like a buzzword right now. Let's do it. Not super proud of it. It's but great. It oh my God. It's, it's <laughs> me. It's a, me who's an idiot. It was a great name. So you're good. You're good. Fine. You're good. Okay. Awesome. Uh, thanks for coming on. Super fun. I'll tag you in everything. And uh, maybe we'll do this again sometime.
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.